Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast, or you know, every once in every while, we do it. Um, is your official source for lack of insight from for basis opinion. Today is July twenty fourth, two thousand seventeen, and this is episode two ten. My name is Scott Magnus, and I'm Jake English. And on today's show, we'll discuss a Katy Perry like homestand for the Orioles and around the bases. We'll also try to avoid capsizing in the winds of change, and we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for. The drink of the week. Jake, um, we were not um, present last week on the podcast-overse or whatever we want to call this aspect of reality that we are in. Uh, and you had a tendency to uh, drink heavily last week, as uh, was noted by many people very concerned about your liver. So, Jake, what are you drinking this week? Well, this week I am enjoying a gin and tonic um a gift from a, a mutual friend of ours, a gigantic uh, handle of Beef Eater Gin, which is not as terrible as I would have thought. This is the first I've ever had it. Um, but last week, I sampled many of the local bars uh, and beers in Nashville, Tennessee. And I got to tell you, I left Nashville impressed with so much of it, but the beers were actually quite good. Lots of good local brews in Nashville. So if you're listening, Nashville, well done. Thank you for the assault on my liver. And uh, I'll, I'll nurse it back to health and come back someday. Jake, I'm doing a Dogfish Head Burton Baton Indian Pale Ale uh, Oak Age. I believe this is a beer that you gave me after helping you move furniture into your house. Yeah, thanks for that. Sorry about the bruises. Yeah, really glad that we moved furniture into your house just for you to go and throw it all away two weeks later. Hey, what can we do? Yeah, it's almost like we have uh, indecisive people uh, calling decisions in our life. Never. 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 Never if you're happen. interested in what we're drinking, check us out on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. And I'm at MAGN8606, and you will not find me posting sour beers on there. And with that, let's go ahead and dance on over into the medical wing. Yes, folks, it's only going to tickle a little. You know, honestly, not much going on in the medical wing, all things considering. Um, I guess the biggest player that's on there is Ryan Flaherty or J.J. Hardy. Yes. I mean, you could clearly say the Orioles are firing on all cylinders right now, and that's because they don't have much missing. Hardy uh, due back possibly August, and Flaherty possibly Early August. Oh, early August. Um, I, I don't even know what you do. I mean, if Ryan Flaherty comes back, do you get rid of Ruben Tejada? Hmm. Oh, 
These are good questions. Or do you get rid of Johnny Giapatella? Well, I think he's clearly the first to go. But if J.J. Hardy then comes back, right? do you get rid of Ruben Tejada? Or do you just hold on to J.J. Hardy until the 40-man roster opens up and basically say, okay, we're going to open up in September? Because in reality, do we really need J.J. Hardy back? Or do you just say, you know what? It's time to designate it for a Simon Hunsu Kim and just be like, you know what? You almost made it the entire contract, but we're just going to cut bait at the very end. I think it's more likely we see him September 1st. Okay. Well, I guess we will we'll see what happens, and uh, we'll go from there. But, again, not too much going on. Um, uh, Anthony Santander also was starting to some light workouts and some activity. Um, once again, he is not going to have enough time this year from a service time standpoint to um, basically be in the Orioles' control next year. Unless the Orioles say we're going to hold on to him in the organization, then he's got to be on the team for an entire year once again. He'll be a Rule Five Point Five pick, right? It'll be a Rule Five Deja Vu. So is that a Rule Five? Rule Five says so make it a Rule Twenty Five, or no? I think it's a Rule Five Point Five. Okay, trust me, I'm a mathematician. A- anywho, uh, let's go to 140 characters or less with this week on the Twitter. We're going to start out with a tweet from Seductive Tommy H, who, of course, tweets at Seductive Tommy H. But that's not the only place that you can hear him. Hey, girl, hear me talk about whips and other seductive delights. Oh, yeah. With a link to the fifth annual Bevy Awards to Seductive Tommy Hunter and all of the other great contributors to this year's show. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your talents. And helping us cry slash laugh slash rock in the shower through this Orioles season. Listen, um, the bevies were something again this year is the best way to put it. They were something. But I I have to, the reason we picked this tweet out specifically was because uh, Seductive Tommy H gets this year's um, gold standard award from Bird's Eye View for uh, outside contributor for the bevies. Folks, you all need to step up your game for next year and try to... Make it mimic slash emulate seductive Tommy H because he gets it. I thought the Orioles Jesus also was a very good or, Orioles Jesus gets it. Um, but, um, he, you know, he, he loses a little bit of partial credit because, you know, he didn't have the Holy Spirit in him. But anyway, uh, seductive Tommy H, bravo, bravo. Um, another tweet I want to bring up was, um, well, let's just blame the Taco Bell rotation on this, not the lineup. Oof. Jim Palmer tweets at Jim 22 Palmer. Mm-hmm. How I'm feeling, and it isn't the chips. Hashtag at Mass and Orioles. I'm sorry, could you read that to me one more time? Yes, that is the emoji. Not the fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. It's the emoji. <laughs> I was curious how you how I was going to do that. You're going to share this with us. Our next tweet comes. <laughs> that is the sound of the 2017 Orioles, <laughs> by the way. Our next tweet comes to us from John Mioli, who, of course, tweets at John Mioli, who could have known when they scheduled this February uh, scheduled this in February, wine would be so prominent in this Orioles season for all fans twenty one or greater on Saturday with a picture of the wine stoppers. Yeah, yeah, that that plays two ways because you could be just imbibing wine to basically get yourself through it, or you could just be whining about the Orioles in general as uh, it is classic right now in Birdland. What do you mean, or? Uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. By the way, I got a set of the bottle stoppers. Um, very creepy is the best way to describe it. Very creepy. Uh, Manny Machado kind of looks like a current day Sammy Sosa, basically, in its current incarnation. <laughs> yeah, Chris Davis also looks a little good. They're, they all 
they all creep me out. Yeah. Um, next week goes into the, well, let's not cause further death now. Jake, as you know, I like to poke and prod uh, on Twitter, basically. That's not fair. Scott, you like to poke and prod everywhere. That's a good point. That's a good point. That is my my MO. And I posted the tweet out there asking what level of explosion would be there for Orioles Twitter um, if they traded for under Nick Markakis and Jim Johnson from the Braves. And uh, there was various relative uh, chemical reactions and explosive reactions and volcanic reactions and nuclear and ast- astronomical reactions. But the big one that I wanted to cover was uh, Dan Zambroski, who you can follow at D Zambroski. He writes for ESPN, one of the only people left that writes for ESPN. Uh, he also writes for Fangrass as well. Um, and he puts, I might become dead um, as part of the process. You know, when it comes to reacting to Jim Johnson, we always just have to walk Jamile in someone else's shoes. Mm. All right, next, I want to go to a tweet. We don't have to pretend to do that, do we? No. Okay. Not so much. I would like to go to a tweet from Andrew Stedka, who, of course, tweets at A. Stedka. Reminder, colon, Chris Davis isn't paid to bunt. And this is a reaction to an attempted bunt. Uh, by Mr. Davis, twice in the same at-bat, if I'm not mistaken, uh, trying to bunt against the shift. You know, we hear so much about this. You know, if he's not doing so well, why doesn't you just bunt against the shift? Or, you know, it'll really help his on-base percentage, and then when he does hit home runs, everything will be fine. Or if if he's not hitting home runs, he might as well try to get on base. This is a conversation that happens all over Birdland. Yes. And I feel like our opinion on this changes depending on how Chris Davis is doing. Yes. So can I get like a final uh, answer? Should Chris Davis be bunting or shouldn't he? Uh, can I give you a final answer at the end of the show? Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll put this week on the Twitters on, on pause uh, for just this tweet. What else you got? All right. And this next tweet goes into the hashtag dope category. This tweet comes from Chris Maurer at MaurerFTW. Just a reminder for Bird's Eye View BAL, hashtag Orioles, hashtag Berland, hashtag All-Star. It's a picture of Johnny Scope. This guy is pretty good. Is he? Is he that good? He's not just good. He's dope, as Javi Burns likes to point out. I was going to say, make sure. All right, here's a tweet, Scott, that I, I would like to have some conversation around. Okay. This comes from Patrick Doherty, who tweets at PJD0014. Respected projection systems have said for years Orioles were likely bad. Now it's like, quote, OMG, what happened to the team? End quote. Like something changed. All right, Scott, I need to ask you. Sure. We're going to go back to to old school bird's eye view here. The stat guy versus the not stat guy trying to build a bridge and, and come closer together. Sure. Is there anything like a, a tweet like this? that reeks a little bit the same way that people saying, oh, see, the Orioles won 96 games against the projections. Does a tweet like this or a or an opinion like this that's that's phrased just this way reek just as bad in the opposite direction as the people who were saying for the longest time, well, the Orioles just win? Yes. I'm really glad to hear you say that. I don't disagree necessarily with Patrick's right with what's being said here. Yeah, Patrick's right, but it does reek in that regard. And and the thing is, is that something did change. The Orioles are losing, and the Orioles yeah. are losing in a very specific way. And I think that something changed. I mean, you didn't go from the team being a 
a playoff contender or a playoff team to having a historically terrible starting pitching rotation with nothing having changed. Something is going on there, and it can't just be coincidence five times. So I, I'd be curious to say, you know, okay, as interesting as it was for four or five years to say, wow, the Orioles are exceeding their, their expectations. Mm-hmm. Now I think it's interesting to say they're no longer doing that, and they're no longer doing that in a very specific way. Why? Because not only does it reach closer to the projections, but it is also an outlier from the performance that we've seen over the last four or five years. Oh, one second. Let me, I was actually working on this today uh, in terms of my uh, database. Let me pull this up one second. I can, I've actually was looking at this for the Dunstan's in one second. Oh, I got the answer. It's called starting pitching. No. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, do we have any of that? Uh, Evidently, no, Mm, is the best way to describe it. Um, Yeah. All right, so the last tweet that we have this week on the Twitter is, and now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. That was really for Derek Arnold. He loves me singing. Uh, This comes from Matt Kremenzer, at Matt Kremenzer. This is a thrilling last hurrah for this group. As the O's have shown over the years, it doesn't have to make sense. You just have to win. Coming back to your point, which is, you know, the projection models are what they are. It's looking at the talent aspect and just seeing, you know, how much talent is available on this given team and how likely are they going to need to over-succeed or fail in order to not meet these given projections. And we've talked about this before where they we fall into a tier system. There's no way that the Orioles were ever going to be a 100-win team this season. Was it possible they could have been a 90-win team? Yeah, it's possible. But as we said at the beginning of the season, a lot of things had to break right, right. And there is a certain animosity that people have to projection systems when they say, well, the Orioles are not going to be very good. It's okay when the projection systems don't work exactly right. Normally in life, projection models are not perfect. Um, and you basically should soak it in as a fan if it goes outside that aspect of that hurrah is the best way to describe it and say, all right, this is great. Uh, this was unexpected. Let's really soak it in. Um, and I can't say that this year is really anything different than we were expecting. And I think fans are a little disappointed that once again, that hurrah that we've seen for the past five years and the over expectation is no longer here once again. Um, but we'll see if they can turn it around for the rest of the year. But I think we are coming to the realization that they are who we thought they all, we all, they all were and coming into the season. I, I don't know. I, I disagree. I think they're worse than we thought they were. I think the starting pitching is probably worse than what we thought we were. But in terms of the rest of the team, I think this is pretty much what we thought they were going to be. Sure. All right. So um, we've been gone for two weeks. Uh, a lot has happened. Um, some good, some bad. Um, but let's go through this past homestand and figure out what to make of it going forward for the Baltimore Orioles. So the Orioles came out of the All-Star break, went into one of their longest home stands of the entire season um, with everything to prove to their fans, you know, time for to, you know, rally the ship and uh, potentially make that um, resurgence that Berland was potentially looking for um, and, and kind of lead themselves up to the trade deadline. La- la- two weeks ago. Yes. We had a conversation about this homestead. We did. 
And we were trying to decide, we were trying to talk ourselves into. Sure, 10 game homestand. Should we be buyers, sellers, and and base it on this 10 game homestand? Absolutely. And you said in order to be a buyer, the Orioles would need to win how many games? Seven games. Mm. And how did they do? Uh, They won five, which is a little bit different than seven. I'll tell you what. A five-game homestand yep. is great Yep, if you have not pissed away Correct. the first half of the season. Correct. And I think it comes back to you look at what the Orioles did against the Cubs, you look at how they won against the Rangers, and then you look at how they did uh, against the Astros, who are just an amazing team is the best way mm-hmm. to put it, and you're left with a, eh, which is exactly what you'd expect of not a really good team or close to a 500 team, but... Let's go through some things that I think were particularly of interest for this this series, and you can chime in too. But the first thing I want to talk about was uh, first base, um, and we're going to start with starting pitching because that's been the theme for all the 2017 season. Uh, the starting pitching continues to implode. Jake, over um, this homestand, the Orioles put up a amazing 8.05 ERA mm. with 2.86 home runs per nine innings, which is unacceptable for any team whatsoever i don't care who you're playing you can't go out there and pitch like that and i I realized that the orioles were able to throw out a few quality starts in the texas series and that was great and you're just like all right maybe uh maybe they got out of their system with the cubs and they're going to turn it around but then the astros came into town and it was no bueno once again um is there anything positive to take out of the starting pitching right now no absolutely not and the thing is about the starting pitching is that it's not just that they're bad, it's that they've been sustainably bad. Mm-hmm. They have been bad consistently for a while. You're no longer surprised. When an Orioles pitcher goes out and lays an egg, you're like, oh, okay, it's going to be that kind of day. Not, oh my gosh, they had a really terrible day. In fact, I would say it's just the opposite. There was a period of time where if the other team didn't score four runs in the first inning, you considered it a good day. Yeah. And that is an awfully low bar. Yeah, I... I mean, I go through the rotation, and I'm thinking to myself, you've got Bundy, who's been getting shellacked for the past, we'll call it three to four weeks at this point, uh, in terms of getting up the home run ball, and just not having the command that you saw uh, with his breaking ball um, earlier in the season. You've got Chris Tillman, who has been better as of late, but still not that, I wouldn't, I'm not sure if I should use the word dominant pitcher, but at least pitcher that you felt like, all right, he can go out there and throw you six innings and maybe give up two to three runs. Um, and then a ball to Jimenez is a dumpster fire. Again, uh, Wade Miley it, it just walks people and then basically gives up the big hit. Um, the only redeeming player right now, I'd say, within the starting pitching is Kevin Gossman. And even that is far and few between. I do like what I'm seeing from Kevin Gossman in terms of being able to throw um, his splitter and get a whiff rate up in, in the process. But that is a very small victory um going back to season one it is a pyrrhic victory at (laughs) at best well let me ask you are the orioles starters this bad or are we seeing something of an irregularity playing out over an entire season all right so we said before that what was like a month ago we said there's no way the orioles can be this bad they eventually have to turn it around and jake that did not work for us so instead we're going to go with yes the orioles do this bad and there's no way they can get any better than they're currently going with. <laughs> I just, I find it... That's got to work, right? <laughs> I, I don't think that we can depend on spite saving us this time. I, I just, you know, I can't 
imagine that the Dylan Bundys and the Kevin Gosmans are going to be like this forever. Now, I get, you know, Wade Miley might not be a great pitcher. And I get that Ebaldo Jimenez is a waste of space. And I get that he, Chris, he, Wade Miley even said that he wasn't a great pitcher. Like he said, Steve Molesky went to him and said, hey, he started off the season so well. You know, what has happened lately? And he was basically just like, did I start off really well? Because uh, I'm kind of pitching the same way as I was. I got really lucky at the beginning of the season, if you didn't notice. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see if I can get any better. But I've been basically pitching the same kind of quality as I had the entire season. I just got really lucky at the very beginning of the season. And I could see in the article Steve Molesky's mouth basically gaping open, being like, well, how am I going to spin this, basically, for mass and <laughs> sports? But wh- whatever. Um, I, it, it comes back to... You know, you look at the trade deadline and everyone keeps saying, go out and trade Machado or Britain or somebody for starting pitching because this team needs starting pitching. But you look through the league and there's nobody that is trading starting pitching right now. Like no one is going out and trading prospects to basically say, oh, that is a top 30 prospect and we're willing to basically trade him to another team. Like if there's a starting pitcher that that's good, they're coming up and playing a role in the bullpen for a stretch run or, you know, anything like that there's no starting pitching that's going to come up and instantly save this team in the next year or two. It's just a thing you're going to have to develop and or sign um, in the coming years. Yeah. And that's the thing that's, that's disturbing is it's not just 2017 that we're worried about. It's 2018 as right. well. So uh, look, I, I agree with you to a certain regard. Long term, I don't think Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gossman are as bad as they are. I still don't know if they are those ace like pitchers that we're seeing from like a Chris Sale or a David Price. But I do think they can be solid uh, Chris Tillman-like pitchers in the past, which are not terrible, but they're not the kind of pitchers that elevate you into being a top 15 team in Major League Baseball. The Orioles need to find that person. That person certainly is not within the organization right now, whether it be in the majors and or the minors. I don't know how the Orioles go out and get it without either making a significant trade and, and hoping something works or going out there and basically spending a lot of money and hoping that it works well too. When generally free and starting pitching does not work out well for anybody in major league baseball. Sure. Particularly not the Orioles. Right. Let's, uh, let's wander over to second base, shall we? Sure. And, and who would we find patrolling second base? Uh, Johnny Giovatella. Yes. That's who I want to talk about here. No, I want to talk about Jonathan Scope. Ah, uh, yes. Who has gone insane. Bananas. In fuego. He's lost his mind. He is just. He's been so dominant at the plate. And here's the thing. He's not just hitting home runs, though he is. But he's hitting the cover off the ball, meaning he's using all the field. He's hitting singles. He's hitting extra base hits. He is doing extremely well at the plate. It's hard to imagine Jonathan Scope doing anything more to please us. I mean, this is the player we really hoped that we were getting as we watched him develop, isn't it? Uh, I think this is, I think it's more than that. I think it's the aspect of this is not the player that we were hoping for. This is beyond Mm -hmm. the aspect of the player that we were hoping for. Um, Jonathan Scope has, I wouldn't say completely changed the type of player that he is, but it certainly looks like he's got a much better understanding of the entire strike zone and is not being fooled by pitches. And we've talked about this before. It's almost like Jonathan Scope is finally starting to reach a maturity level in terms of being um, in the right place at the right time and being able to see the play very well um, and knows how to react accordingly. Um, I, I mentioned this before in in the past where I've equated Jonathan Scope to a very Adam Jones-like player mm-hmm. in terms of 
offensive performance where he goes to these hot stretches. Um, and then he basically goes to the cold stretches and you want to pull your hair out as the other part of it. Um, but I think Jonathan Scope is, he's never going to be that person that's going to be able to, you know, draw walks. But theoretically, he could easily be um, your third or fourth best hitter on the team. Right now, he's probably the best hitter on the team. But overall, I think over a longer period of time, he's probably still a third or, third or fourth best player. I don't think he's an all-star all the time, this season certainly. But he's that kind of complementary piece that is that two-plus war player that you need to have on this team going forward. He's, as I pointed out before, that Melvin Moore-esque player that is a great um, almost also a complimentary piece. Yeah, I mean, he he could be on a really good team like a, a glorified Steve Pierce, right? Who who you know was so responsible for the Orioles doing so well in 2014. Here's my question: Can you imagine the 2017 Jonathan Scope on the 2016 Orioles? Oh wow, yeah, that'd be that'd be amazing. So I almost put this in this week on the Twitters, but I, I held it out because I knew we were going to talk about him here at second base. Um, Britt uh tweeted out earlier this week that the Orioles had apparently uh, discussed extension talks with uh, Scope in the offseason, but those never materialized. So let me ask you this. Sure. Now that he's blown up, yep. now that this has happened, was that a big miss? Oh, absolutely. It's a or, huge miss. Or do you think that's forgivable? Because here's the other side. You know, it's it's clearly easy to say, oh, wow, look, he's blown up. He's, he's going to be great for the rest of his career. The Orioles missed the opportunity to get him cheap. I, I get that. Right. Okay. But here's the other side. Before this year, Jonathan Scope had always been promising, mm-hmm. but he had also been injury-riddled and inconsistent. Yep. I mean, there was a time when we were discussing whether or not Jonathan Scope should get more playing time than Ryan Flaherty. Sure. And so I'm not sure that it's crazy to say, if you're the Orioles, look, we're going to make you an offer. And we're not going to back up the Brinks truck for you because we have other priorities in the infield. Sure. So the fact that they weren't able to sign him, I mean, you didn't need to back up the Brinks truck this this offseason. It came down to, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, he was injury riddled during the 2015 season, but he came played a whole season during 2016 and he posted a 97 weighted runs created plus and was starting to get back into the field of things. Again, that was his first full season last year. He only came into the league in 2014, so he's only been up here for, we'll call it two and a half seasons before coming into the 2017 season. And we talk about this all the time. Jonathan Scope entered arbitration this year. It was a premium opportunity for the Orioles to say, you know what? You've got three years of arbitration left. We want to take advantage of that, and we want to sign you to a five- or six-year deal, buy out your arbitration years, and make it more advantageous for us to cost structure our payroll going forward so that you're part of this team going forward. Now, do you think that they would have been able to save money on some of his arbitration years by offering him that five-year deal? I think it's possible, but I think you could have kind of played with it. So it was the aspect of like, all right, we're going to underpay you for 2017 and 2018, um, but come 2019, we feel like we're going to have a lot more money available. So we are going to be paying you a heftier sum for 2019, uh, 20, and going forward. It's kind of similar to like the Adam Jones deal, basically, mm-hmm. where it's just like the first few years were just like, that's not much. And now it's at the $18, $19 million, which is kind of what you would expect for Jones. Um, it, I, they missed an opportunity here. And I understand where you're coming from. Of It's easy to say that looking back. But the point of the matter was we came into this offseason and we said, all right, there really isn't much for the Orioles to go out there and get in terms of free agency. 
This would be a really good season to start getting people under contract for a longer period of time. Kevin Gossman, um, Jonathan Scope, Manny Machado would have been great, but that's a whole other matter. But just getting certain key intermediate players, as we talk about, not just all-stars, kind of on the books is important because those intermediate pieces play a significant role in terms of fleshing out the rest of your franchise. Don't we also talk, though, about getting some of the complementary piece, pieces cheap while they're still you know, being uh, under club control in, in in the pre and or arbitration phase. Sure. And th- that comes back to that's the way the Orioles were able to be successful uh, during 2012 and 2013 is by relying on arbitration players uh, such as Manny Machado, uh, such as Kevin Gossman, Miguel Gonzalez, Miguel Gonzalez, a bunch of players that were not making a lot of money and still having significant value as opposed to it. Um, that being said, you know, that may come in the near future with players like Chancisco, Ryan Mountcastle, Austin Hayes, all, Trey Mancini, Trey Mancini, all players that are again probably not all star like players, but could serve that intermediate role as Jonathan Scope. I just look at the depth um, right now at second base. I don't see anything in the Orioles organization whatsoever that's come close to a Jonathan Scope. And I look at how difficult it is to go out there and get a decent second baseman in the free agency, and I say. The Orioles could have easily made a move to say, we want to have you here for the next six years. How much money is it going to take? What do you think it would have taken them? Um, let's see. I would have said that it probably would have taken them six years and $75 million. Huh. And based on what you'd seen so far, you would be willing to make that? I do, I do that deal in a heartbeat. Okay. I, I You know, I'm, I'm just not willing to go there yet. Or wasn't willing before this year? Yeah. But that's all good and fine. Let me ask you this. Do you think Jonathan Scope is going to be this good moving forward? Do no. you think this is his peak? Do you think he has more room to grow? What's the future look like for him? I think Jonathan Scope is going to be um, a player that normally bats around, we'll call it, uh, 270 average, 300 on-base percentage, and we'll call his slugging right around... 500 is the best way to put it, um, which will put his weighty runs created plus right around like 110 to 115. So an above average second baseman um, in terms of offense performance. And then his defense is just a question of how long does that range stay in effect for what he is at? He's only at 25 years old. I think he could easily play into his, you know, 31 or 32 before at that point, it's like, all right, what do we do with this guy? Because he can't play a second baseman anymore. Sure. Okay. Well, there you have it at second base. Uh, Let's move over to third base. Sure. And we talked uh, a few episodes ago about what the future of the Orioles radio network was going to be with uh, the departure of of, uh, Fred Manfred, but with also, you know, some of our announcers starting to get uh, a little bit up there, not only on the radio side, but on the the television side. We had an interesting series this past week— where the voice of the Tides was paired with Ben McDonald in Joe Angel's absence. Uh, again, showing just the lack of depth as far as the Major League um, announcing. What did you think of that pairing? So there was Pete Mashad uh, of the Norfolk Tides, and it was uh, Ben McDonald. So let's start with Ben McDonald, because he was on there um, with Jim Hunter um, earlier in the week, too. Personally, I love when Ben McDonald comes on the radio. It is Give me more Ben. I love having Ben McDonald. Now, me being, to be fair, I have a bias in terms of loving Ben McDonald, um, one of my favorite players growing up as a kid. Um, but I think Ben McDonald oftentimes gives a really insightful view 
of the game and really is almost Palmer-esque in terms of the pitch sequencing. He'll say, like, I'd probably throw a change-up here for Bay. And sure enough, that's change-up. And it's like, yep, you definitely know what you're talking about. Here's something that I really enjoyed hearing him talk about this past weekend. Where He was talking about the nature of the change-up in the yep. game and how it used to be that the change-up was a pitch that was designed to be struck and hit you know, for weak contact um, and that it was an out-pitch. And now, as the game uh, progresses it's a pitch designed to get a swing and a miss. And I never really thought about that. Yep. And you and I have, uh, are old enough to have seen both eras at yep. this point, but I never would have, I never would have made that connection. It was sure. one of those things where it's like, Oh, this is a guy that knows the Orioles that's been with the Orioles, but also knows pitching. And he's been there on the mound. And, you know, he has something to tell me through the game rather than just describing what's happening. Sure. I appreciate it. Now, why do you think that is, by the way, let's test you. Why do you think the changeup now has become more of an out pitch? Because uh, everybody's swinging like mad, nobody's willing to choke up and try to just make contact. No, I'm going to go with fastball velocity. So if you're throwing it at typically 93 miles per hour plus now, and back in the 80s and 90s, you basically were throwing it pretty much at 85 or 86 miles per hour. That fastball differential between that and the changeup is monumental now compared to the old days. So now the players that when you throw it, it's the aspect of all right, I need to be swinging. And when they're swinging at that fastball, and it's actually a changeup, they're way ahead of it. Whereas with the changeup, it's, okay, I'm going to make weaker contact on it, and that's why it's an out pitch. Now it's more of a, I'm already swinging when this changeup is basically still coming into the plate. Yeah, and he said not only was it the fastball velocity, but the velocity on the changeup itself exactly. has come down yep. over the years. Yep, exactly. So that differential was really what we talked about. We talked about it tonight when Gossman threw a changeup. It was a splitter change, but we'll go as a changeup. But that 10-mile-per-hour difference is huge. I mean, back in the day, if you had 10 miles per hour, you'd be an all-star. Now it's you have to have 10 or else you're really not even a good pitcher is the best way to put it. So, so I caught Friday night's game on the radio. Uh, it, it, on the satellite radio. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, trying to find the station and heard Caleb Joseph's name. Yep. With a voice I didn't recognize, and I thought, oh, oh crap! The only thing I can get is the is the Astros feed. All right, I guess. <laughs> and so I'm listening to this gentleman talk, and I'm listening to him talk, and you know, he's standard announcer voice, yeah. whatever. But then he said something about having talked to Buck Showalter earlier that day, and I was like, Brr. yeah. And then Ben McDonald broke in, and I was. Like, yeah. what's going what is on going here? on here uh what what did you think of him uh i think the way you just described it which was um a generic announcer is a good way to put it i didn't get anything special out of it um i didn't feel a connection uh, i just felt like all right i'm listening to um a generic announcer that i would hear for you know basically a typical play-by-play on like a TBS or a Fox Sports or like and even an ESPN, the radio would be another aspect of it. So nothing that really impressed me. He did a great job. I mean, yeah. he, he, he definitely can call play-by-play. But I, I think to a certain regard, we're ultimately spoiled by the Joe Angels and the John Millers who don't just make it a play-by-play, but also make it somewhat of an intimate experience and make it similar to just sitting on your couch and watching the baseball game. Scott, are you saying that that man did not give you an intimate experience and that's what you didn't like about it? Uh, let's just say that when tiny Tim is the only one that is uh, satisfying me, it's not a, not a, not a good play by play. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Let's run from there and go to home plate. All right. So for home plate, uh, I really want to cover, um, one big thing that I've been particularly interested in, Jake, I want to talk about 
promotion. So Jake, did you see this promotion that the Orioles are putting out for August 22nd? They're doing a Game of Thrones theme where they're going to do a bullpen party. Uh, They're going to be giving away uh, a shirt that says Watch Over the Wall, and it's going to have Adam Jones on it. And then you're going to get to sit on uh, the Game of Thrones, basically, and basically get your picture taken with it. So Jake, I ask you this. What kind of other promotions do the Orioles need to be unrolling and unveiling this this season going forward to get butts into seats? All right. I don't think you're going to like this. Okay. I've never seen a minute of Game of Thrones. I'm not surprised. So this particular promotion does nothing for nothing you. to me. Like it's like a foreign language, which is fine because I know a lot of people love that show and good for them for getting into it. But here's the the danger of these promotions, sure. which is niche niche audiences. Now I know that Game of Thrones has a zillion fans and that's good, but that's like a Star Wars night at the park mm-hmm. or whatever else that minor league baseball teams do sure. to get fans in, in the seats. You're only going to be as successful as the reach of that particular thing. So you ask me yes. what, what we need to do. I want to go back to the idea of throwback nights. Yes. I think throwing back to great moments in Orioles history and embracing the culture that goes along with that is the way to go. So, for instance, celebrate that 97 team. Sure. You show up in flannel, you get a discount to your tickets. Or what about looking back at the last Orioles championship in the 80s? A back to the future night? Mm, yeah. This is the kind of thing I think they need to get into. Or what we could do is we could go back to the 2014 series, uh, and we could basically say uh, it's going to be Delman Young night. Everyone that brings their car up will have a valet parked afterwards. Easy. <laughs> That's actually probably the cleanest reference you could have made. <laughs> you said Delman Young, and I just like retreated back into myself. Oh God, don't say it. Um, Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> that too. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know what else they're going to do. I remember back in the 2012 season when people couldn't r- believe that the team was for real. The 92 ticket pricing that they went back to the 92 ticket pricing, and I always thought what a great idea that was. Yep. I thought it was criminal the fact that it didn't pack the park. I mean, right. There were still empty seats. But that's what they need to go back to. They need to go back to something to get people in. Um, and I appreciate the the kitschy minor league experience of hey, let's let's have it be you know something else. Well, I, I raised that question. That's a great. That's actually a promotion I've been thinking about lately a lot too. Is in that 2012 season, saying okay, it's the uh, 20th year anniversary of Cannon Yards. We're going to go out and basically do pricing again at 92 per ticket prices. Yeah. With the 25th anniversary, why don't you just say let's pull it, pull it out all the archives and basically do it again? I think it's a really easy way to get people into the stadium um, on the dirt cheap. And what else are you going to do for those seats? I mean, they're not going to get used. I wish that they would have thought ahead because now it's too late. But thought ahead and done an evening kind of like they did with the 60th anniversary mm-hmm. where they had uh, a display on the the warehouse wall sure. after the game with some fireworks and laser show just with Camden Yards highlights. Because I think that, that would have been a, a really nice you know, kind of nod to the park. You go back and and do a little uh, uh, montage of of the whole Memorial Stadium and bringing home plate over to the new park and yeah. the opening and then all the great moments that have happened here. The other idea that I had was um, we basically celebrate the 1998 to 2011 Orioles. The LED lights had the ability to dim down, basically. <laughs> so we played the d- game in complete darkness, similar to the dark ages for Orioles baseball, and we see what happens. Now, don't. 
doesn't Game of Thrones have like a medieval thing going on? Uh, kind of. It'll be Dark Ages baseball. Winter is coming, Jake. I have nothing for you. You know nothing, Jon Snow. Nothing. All right. Well, with that uh, very illuminating conversation, uh, the Orioles definitely need to do promotions, though, similar to this. I realize they're niche, but um, filling the park for the rest of the season, if the Orioles start still being a 500 team, is going to be difficult, especially for September uh, when the infamous school starts back up again. Um, So I do like what the Orioles are doing in terms of uh, going out there and doing additional marketing to at least get a few more butts in the seats. Um, So keep it up um i realize it's kind of gimmicky and stuff like that but such gimmicky things happen all the time in small market aspects they're gonna have to embrace it all right so as we just pointed out for gimmicky aspects um things are changing around birdland uh going forward um let's go into some of the uh gritty details of uh, what may be transpiring in the near future Scotty, if we were still doing real music, this would have been the perfect time for Time to Change by the Brady Bunch. Oh, that would be good. Uh, look, I've been pretty vocal in the past uh, saying You? That, yeah, I know. Saying that if the Orioles can't win this year, that they don't have enough in the minors to get what they need next year, and they should just rebuild early while they still have useful parts to sell off. I, I've, I've been you know, pretty clear about that. But whether or not you agree that that is the most prudent path forward, we all have to admit that it's unlikely. Duquette and Showalter are under contract through 2018, and they'll try to win one last time in 2018, for better or for worse. They're going to at least have one more shot, one last try for the organization before the Dark Ages return. And so with that, I wonder what they can do to improve the club without hamstringing their ability to compete next year. The team's problem, as you correctly stated, Scott, is starting pitching. And if the Orioles staff hadn't threatened to be historically bad, their lineup, despite having down years from the likes of Manny Machado and and Mark Trumbo, and the bullpen, despite uh, injury and ineffectiveness from the likes of Darren O'Day and Zach Britton, would probably be enough to keep them at least close in the wildcard race, if not closer in the AL East race. Um, And so with that being said, I think that they need to draw from their strengths and the, the easiest is simply the bullpen. Um, and so when you look at the bill, at the bullpen, you got to take into account the big three, right? Yep. You got Britton, Brock, and O'Day. And uh, what is it that Buck Showalter always says? You need one to compete, two to win, and three to dominate? Yep. Well, with deficiencies in the starting rotation like we've got, you can't afford a dominating bullpen. And so I think that you have to deal from an area of strength and simply hope to win or to compete. Um, and that leaves you with uh, with losing one of those guys. I, I think, and I ask you, Scott, what what do you think? I think you can deal one of those guys away. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, you looked at it earlier this season, and I think you said to yourself, man, like, it's going to be tough when Zach Burton went out. And it was difficult, but it wasn't like the team fell apart outside of the standings is the best way to describe it. <laughs> But it wasn't on the bullpen. It was right. really on the starting pitching is the best way to describe it. Sure, the bullpen had a few um, games where you're just like, oh, we should have won that game. That wouldn't have happened with Zach Burton. 
But in reality, the Orioles' struggles during that dark period earlier this year was not on the bullpen. It was more on starting pitching and the Orioles not hitting. So you look at Zach Burton, Brad Burrock, Darren O'Day, and I would also point out Michael Givens, and you say there's a probably enough there where you don't need to have all four of them, and having all four of them may be a luxury, all things considering. We talked about this, you and I, um, over a beer uh, this past Sunday. We talked about Jim Johnson, and we talked about when the Orioles traded Jim Johnson, um, you and I were uh, – Somewhat flabbergasted is the best way to describe it, saying we were losing the pretender. Right. How can you be trading Jim Johnson like he's one of your better players on your team and you're giving him up? And Dan Duquette's comments at that time were, um, you know, Jim is a great asset to the team, but, you know, for $10 million, we can't afford that kind of salary uh, with the payroll structure that we're trying to maintain at this time. And I remember when we traded him, we're just like, we got nothing back from him. It was a complete salary dump is the best way to put it. Um, And it was frustrating because you're just like, we should be able to go out there and keep our good players and not have to worry about the salary issue. But the salary issue is a real thing. Um, Zach Burton is going to be making somewhere in the ballpark of 11 to $12 million last year. And you look at the payroll and you say, well, where is that money going to be next year in terms of payroll and, and contracts? And we, I just think about it, and I'm like, okay, if you free up Zach Britton, for example, and you trade him, you've got $12 million available for next year that you could potentially lump into starting pitching. Similarly, you've got a Baldo Jimenez coming off the books as well. There's a bunch of opportunities there in terms of going out and saying, all right, if we've got 20 plus million dollars worth of payroll available for 2018, and then we know what 2019 is happening, that opens up a lot of options in terms of going out and getting additional free agents. And there certainly is some free agents next year or during this offseason that would be of interest to me um, in maybe not a rebuild sense, but definitely something that you could say, we could piece somebody together in there and make it work. I mean, you look at the list that is out there and you've got folks like, um, Andrew Kashner, you've got um, Tyler Chatwood, Alex Cobb, you got you Darvish out there, uh, Nate Avioldi, um, Jamie Garcia, uh, Miguel Gonzalez, Jeremy Hellickson, Derek Holland, um, John Lackey, even though he's had a bad season this year and he hates pitching in this ballpark. You've got a good amount of free agent starting pitchers out there. You missed the big name. Okay. Brian Mattis is still out there. Uh, Brian Mattis is still out there. But even like a player like Michael Pineda, Tyson Ross are going to be out there next year. These are all players that, again, may not be dominant ace-like pitchers like a Chris Sale, but could easily fit that role of, you know, okay, like a two or three pitcher um, in, in Camden Yards. And I think it comes back to, if you think Kevin Gossman and Dylan Bundy are two and three, go out and pick up two of these guys and then go sign either Wade Miley or Chris Tillman and have him be your fifth starter. And I think you're in business. Yeah. The, the thing is, you need to be not historically awful. Yes. You need to be not historically awful. Because, again, I think that this team, the very team that we're watching, the very team that that made it to the playoffs last year, is good enough to be close if the starting pitching is not a dumpster fire. Right. But let's talk about Britain. Sure. The money is a serious factor. And I, I, I'm with you 100% there. Particularly because if you're going to go one last year, it would seem to me that for one-year rental players, mm-hmm. they may spend money. Mm. They may spend a little bit. Um, but let me ask you. Sure. With Britain, what can he get you? 
what can he actually bring back of value? Is is the value of trading Britain just freeing up the money and any fringe prospects that come in return is a bonus? Sure. Um, I, I, I don't think it's completely just the aspect of freeing up money. Um, I, but I do think it's also the aspect of you free up money and then you also get the prospects. Personally, I think the prospects is the bigger deal because you need to start restocking. And I think it's the time for them to start restocking is the best way to describe it. So, um, yeah, I mean, why not do it now rather than later um, is, I guess, my question. Yeah. So um, let me ask you this. Does the injury this year hurt his trade value? I'm going to say yes, because people are going to be not as willing to go ahead and um, take that risk on him is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, there are going to be people out there that are going to get to the last week of July and say, we need to make that big move. Going back to the 2014 Orioles, making that Andrew Miller move, which is a huge move, um, and that's the kind of move that can really launch you into the playoffs really strong. So I do think that someone like the Cubs or someone like the Astros or someone like the Dodgers is going to make that big move and offer a King's Ransom. And I really do hope that the Orioles um, make that move and and make it happen now um is it possible that we will be selling high with zach Britton? like the question better stated is this do you think that he's reached his peak yes i i do i do too i think zach Britton has reached his peak and i said this in the off season and i still hold it of zach Britton is really good and i don't actually think he's any worse this year than he was last year even though the results are a little bit shaky but you look Mm -hmm. at his pitch performances and i think he's right there too um but I, I I think Zach Burton probably can't be any better than he currently is. And I think even if you let him get to free agency, it's the aspect of even if you wanted to bring him back, you'd be over, overpaying for him, similar to the Darren O'Day situation. Yeah, and I, and I look back at the uh, Jim Johnson move, and it hurt my heart when he left, but he wasn't particularly good no. after he left either. And so you have to look Pretty at Pretty good that, this year, though. Yeah. yeah. You have to look at that move, though, and you say, you know what? The Orioles parted with a popular player that wasn't right uh, at the wallet at the right time. And uh, I wonder if we're there with Sacramento. Believe me, in different circumstances, if we weren't where we were with the window and we weren't where we are with the money, you know, the Chris Davis contract, the the Manny Machado business, I would love to have Zach Britton forever. But uh, like you said, it's probably a luxury we can't afford. All right, so Zach Britton, clearly somebody that we can afford to trade and could probably bring something back. Um, let me ask you this. Let's talk about your boy, Brad Brock, Mm -hmm. Brad Brock, who you were singing the praises of during the, the bevies. Uh, what is the sense in trading Brock and what do you think it brings back? I think Brock, we'll we'll come back to Britain. I think Britain brings back a, we'll call it top 30 to top 70 prospect. And then a bunch of filler pieces been past that. I don't think you're going to get a lot. Um, and the more important thing is, I don't think you're going to get a starting pitching out of it. I think you're going to get a positional player, probably an outfielder, um, and that's about all you're going to get. Isn't, though, the, the Orioles farm system weak enough that that's yes. okay? Absol- <laughs> absolutely. We'll, we'll take it. I mean, who, who's your backup center fielder right now? Joey Rickard. Yeah. And that's not a good option, especially if Adam Jones is not going to be playing for the Baltimore Orioles long term. But even you take that back, sir. Yeah. But, but even the fact of the matter is, Jones is going to start showing range issues in the coming years to come. So even if you say, hey, we want Adam Jones here for the next five or six years, 
you know, it's going to be a situation of either you're going to have to have a corner outfielder that can cover a lot more depth for Jones and you'll position him in center field accordingly, or you're going to go to Jones and say, we're moving you to the corner and you're going to basically mentor this other center fielder and go from there. Um, so no question at all. There is no position that um, I don't think the Orioles should be stocking up on at this point. All right. Except so, for maybe first baseman slash DH slash right fielders. But do you think Brock would bring back anything of value? I think Brock would bring back a um, top 100 prospect more in the 50 to 100 range at, at best. Okay. And then maybe a, another piece or two. Uh, and then uh, a player named Cash Considerations. <laughs> um, Darren O'Day. Nothing. Me neither. I don't, I don't think he's tradable. He's not tradable. I don't think any. Here's the deal. When when they gave Darren O'Day that contract, we all were thrilled. Let me let me rewrite history a little bit. Sure. What would you have thought if they had given Andrew Miller $36 million instead and let Darren O'Day go? I would have said it's risky, um, but I would have said I understand why they made the move. It, but I would say it was risky. And after I saw Andrew Miller pitch the way he did the year after we let him go, and they gave the same thing to Darren O'Day, I said, all right, that's the new market for relief pitchers. But I think we're starting to see now of, all right, this is why you don't give money to relief pitchers uh, of significant, uh, for, for a significant amount of time. Because I remember articles coming out when Darren O'Day was signed saying, well, Darren O'Day has a delivery where basically he's probably the most has the best chance of succeeding for a long term other than other relief pitchers. And we really haven't seen that is the best way to describe it. Yeah. So uh, I I think everyone will come back to the Andrew Miller thing and say, we should have signed Andrew Miller over Darren O'Day. But a part of me also says, I I think Andrew Miller is the exception to the rule. And a lot of times in terms of signing relief pitchers, that was also me throwing on my hindsight glasses. Right. You mentioned Michael. You mean like your guy from work? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. (laughs) You, You mentioned Michael Givens. The organization has declared him untouchable. Mr. Untouchable, yes. Do, do you agree? <sighs> I don't consider him untouchable, but it comes back to he's a really valuable asset to the Orioles because he's dirt cheap. And we came back to the aspect of if you've got club control, you've got to get something back of significant value if you're going to give away club control players that can pitch in that fashion. And also, he's what makes the rest of these guys expendable. Correct. Because when you look at, you know, losing one of those three guys, and let's just forget O'Day. So when you lose one of those two guys, you have a bullpen that consists of um, O'Day and Givens and, you know, Donnie Hart and Miguel Castro and Richard Blyer. And, and By whatever. the way, Richard Blyer makes no sense. Like, how is Richard Blyer this good right now? Yeah, I have no idea. It's It makes... It, I'm not sure if Brad Brock is just rubbing up on him or what's going on, but phrasing. Yeah. It's one of those Duquette moves where you're like, you found this in the trash bin and it's actually working. Well, it's I think it's also the aspect of you watch him pitch for a short term and you're just like, you're not as good as you actually are. And then it gets longer and you're just like, this shouldn't be working. And then you look at the back of the thing, and it's like, who the heck is Brad Brock? And then you're now you're gonna say the same thing. Who the heck is Richard Blyer? Yeah. And how is he making this work? Last winds of change question for you. This sure. is a bonus. We talked about our boy up top, Jonathan Scope, still under club control. Yep. Possibly, and I say possibly, yep, playing his best baseball of his career. Yep. What do you think a Jonathan Scope brings back in a trade? I think Jonathan Scope brings back a top 50 prospect. Do you think that's a worth making the move? Uh, I don't think it's obviously not something you do this this at the trade deadline. 
But this offseason, I would be listening to all offers on Jonathan Scope. He's only got two years left. The likelihood that you sign him long-term is questionable at best, unless you reach a Machado extension. I would literally go into the room with Manny Machado, and I would have a picture of Jonathan Scope in my hand and say, you either sign a contract with us that is a reasonable market price, and it's probably going to be $300 million, and say, we are going to give you a reasonable market price for you to sign here, or your boy gets it, basically. (laughs) And then I guarantee Peter Angelos basically plays in the room, uh, it just says you know what manny we're gonna play you some music and uh this is what's playing in the background this is my fault i'm sorry so yeah jonathan scope needs to be on the trading block okay this all season and i know it hurts fans to say because they like him he's got a great personality but if manny's not going to sign long term then you basically make the moves this offseason to say it's time to start blowing it up because it's time to change, Jake. I really wanted to get that last part in there. Time <laughs> change. This is what happens when the Orioles lose. They're making us do this, Scott. They're making us do they're, this. They're making us do this. All right. Well, so what do you think about Jonathan Skip? Do you trade him or this offseason or do you think he's untouchable as well? I don't think he's untouchable. It's just that if you're going to make one last run at it in 2018, you got to hope that he's a big part of that. Okay. I understand where you're coming from, but it's really a question of are you going to make that run in 2018? I think the question is, do you have the potential to go out there and sign two really good pitchers this offseason? I think if you only sign one... I don't know if I would pull that trigger. Yeah, but it's more the Orioles' MO to sign a bunch of fringe, maybe might be pitchers, and hope that one of them sticks. We've seen nobody stick this year, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't, you know, get abnormally lucky next year like they have for four or five years because somebody, you know, has a rabbit's foot. Sure. I mean, definitely possible. Um, But you're absolutely right in terms of the other aspect is, if they go go out and get starting pitching or they say, you know what, we're not going to trade anybody and we're still going to go get starting pitching, I wonder how much payroll is going to balloon for only the 2018 season. I, I think there's a pretty good chance if they decide. Or they say we're going all in. Yeah. I wonder if they just say, you know what, we're going to go out there and spend like bonkers basically and just make, make something happen. I can't. I can't imagine it from a business standpoint for the Baltimore Orioles. Like, you would be losing money is the best way to describe it. But maybe they just say, maybe Peter just says, I only have got a few years left as it is. I'm willing to basically take the loss for this one year. I mean, it's more likely, obviously, that they that they play, you know, Duquette ball and they, they try to get as many uh, deals as possible. But it would not shock me for them to say, this is our last shot. Uh, let's open up the wallet a little bit for one year. Give, you know, three or four guys one-year deals that exceed the market value to make sure that they get here. And then we'll okay, write we, it off so as we well, have a put competitive out this, loss. We put, put out this supposition, basically, of um, the Orioles potentially could keep all their players and basically go bonkers for 2018. So, Jake, let me ask you a question. What has a better likelihood of six, happening? Going bonkers and increasing payroll significantly to basically improve this club or them trading away pitchers like Zach Burton or Brad Rock? I think trading, trading them away is more likely. I think so, too. So I I think that's what Orioles fans should be coming to grips with and getting ready for um, in in the upcoming week. With that, um, that was fun, by the way. I'm glad that we had that really pitiful conversation. We got to listen to the Brady Bunch. Um, But Jake, uh, there was something else that was pitiful this past week, and um, it was all about Fantasy Boss. 
Uh oh. Finger popping, baby. You sure do swing. And when it comes to bopping and a natural finger popping, daddy, are you are the king. Baby, you got me beat up and down inside and across. Ooh. Got the boss once again. So Scope dominated this past, well, since the All-Star break, really. We picked the category for RBIs, and it wasn't even close. Scope had 16 RBIs since the All-Star break. Manny Machado, three RBIs. And Jonathan Scope got AL Player of the Week nod for it. So, Jake, the score goes to 3-0-1. I have an objection. Okay. What time frame does this cover? Uh, This covers since the All-Star break. Well, Scott, I don't feel like that is necessarily what was agreed to during the last Fantasy Boss. You see, Scott, there was supposed to be an episode last week. And there so wa- the there was supposed to be an episode. of comparison was simply the one week. So my question to you, Scott, is how many of those Jonathan Scope RBIs took place in the first of the two weeks? All right. Well, I can start pulling those up. While I am pulling those I'm up, I'm pretty sure you won anyway. I'm, I'm just, just, I'm almost positive I won. But I, I just knew, trying to lawyer up. I, I knew you were going to pull this. This routine is the best way to describe it. And uh, <laughs> Jake, I we are at three zero and one. Ooh. So, Jake, it's what you've been waiting for this entire time. You get to pull a single wild card out Ooh. and throw it out there to try to get caught up in the process. All right, now I have a, I have a really, really good regular category so can i do that one first sure you can do that scott this is an either or situation okay my question to you is in the next six games right uh five because the uh the the rays are are playing today we're not going to count monday's game okay in the next five games which of these two things will happen more okay hyunsu kim at bats okay or joey rickard hits uh, ooh. I'm going to go with Hunsu Kim at bats. Okay. That leaves me with Joey Rickard uh, hits. So I've gone back through the numbers. I've looked at the Cubs series. Manny Machado and John Scope have had zero RBIs during the Cubs series. Uh, it was only during the Texas and the Houston series that Manny Machado and uh, Jonathan Scope decided to have some additional r- RBIs in the process. Well, I hate to quibble, Scott, but I think that's 2-0-2, my friend. Uh, no, because, again, if you didn't go to Nashville, we would have had a show last week. So by going to Nashville, it is the case that I'm going to go ahead and take this one. I, You know... I don't think that's right, Scott, because there are clearly these sprinklers coming out of your rug slash field. I'm going to pull my team off the field and play under protest. All right. Well, you can play under protest, but uh, the league has reviewed and uh, it is a loss. Folks, if you think this needs to be appealed in Jake's favor and it needs to go to 202, let us know on Twitter with hashtag fantasy boss and uh, we will let Birdland decide the fate of this week's uh, fantasy boss. But we all know the right answer. It's Jonathan Scope because he's so much better than Manny Machado right now. Two o o two. Um. So in that case, a single wild card. Single wild card. Single wild card. This is so hard because, uh, you know, I I picked an offensive category for the either or. It makes me feel like I need to go to the pitching. Right. 
Oh, um, I, I will put this caveat out there. Um, if, uh, I am found, uh, not in favor, I will appeal the process and, uh, the East wild card will become null and void at this point. <laughs> I'm willing, I'm willing to trade it in, but we also, no, we're not trading it in, <laughs> but it will also have to go through an arbiter panel and then it'll have to go back into the courts again. So this will be not decided by the time the cable, uh, bubble bursts. That is most likely the case. Yes. All right. I'm going to go with, um, starting pitcher that will next pitch fewer than four innings. Fewer than four innings, huh? Fewer than four. All right. So, Baldo Jimenez. All right. I am going to go with Chris Tillman. Okay. So, you think his arm's going to fall off, basically. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. You better be hoping that Baldo Jimenez gets pulled from the rotation. <laughs> you better be hoping that Birdland doesn't rush to my defense, as is clearly going to happen. Yeah, clearly not going to happen, because, folks, Jake is wrong in this one. And uh, let's go to our next segment. The good, the bad, and um, the ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and go first. My good for this week, somebody we don't talk a lot about. Scott, this week my good goes to Miguel Castro. I think Castro has the possibility of becoming another dependable arm in the bullpen. In his last 11 appearances, which covers 12 innings pitched, he's allowed runners to score just twice, one on one occasion and two on another. This week, it was another four appearances for 5.1 innings pitched of scoreless relief. And if this bullpen is going to cover for one of the worst starting uh, rotations in baseball history, it's going to take both quality and quantity. It's nice to have dependable arms to turn to in the bullpen. And if this can be another one of those Duquette uh, diamond in the rough situations, that's a great situation for the Orioles to be in. Jake, the good for this week from me is going to be to going to Caleb Joseph, a really nice uh, feel story. Um, seeing Caleb Joseph do so well over um, the past few games. Um, hasn't got a ton of plate appearances because he's been in there with Wellington, Wellington Castillo, but posting a 462 average uh, since the All-Star break, 563 on base percentage, and a 254 weighted runs created plus. Um, getting his average for the entire season above 300. Never thought I would see it with Caleb Joseph after last season. So tip the cap to Caleb Joseph. Um, not often the player that normally gets that recognition, but, um, well done, sir. Well done. All right. My bad goes, well, it's my bad goes to the offensive side of the ball. And it was a very good week offensively with just about every regular contributor, uh, giving us more than average weighted runs created plus, which of course is more than a hundred. The lone exception, Mark Trumbo in 32 plate appearances. He put up a 55 weighted runs created plus and a 260 Woba. That's five hits in those 32 plate appearances. Now, he did hit the two home runs with uh, three RBIs in that time, but just not getting it done. He was a waste at the plate this week. Mark Trumbo is my bad. My bad's going to go to Dylan Bundy, who is posting some pretty um, awful numbers. 6.35 Ks per nine, 3.18 walks per nine, uh, 2.38 uh, home runs per nine. 
Um, ground ball rate only at 30.6%, um, and the 6.3, 6.35 ERA since the All-Star break. There's a lot to basically unpack from the starting pitching and to be disappointed about. But I think Dylan Bundy's precipitous drop-off in performance since the beginning of the season has to be the most disappointing and also um, terrifying for Orioles fans going forward. Sure. My ugly was Saturday's meltdown in the loss to the Astros. And it has to go, I think, squarely on the shoulders of Darren O'Day. I understand that it was probably really upsetting to see uh, Moran take that ball off the face, which was just, I mean, it was terrible, right? That That's just a, a play you hate to see in, in Major League Baseball in a situation where your heart just goes out to the other player or, you know, to the opposing team's player if you're the fan. That's all good and fine. But to then have the player that continued that at-bat to hit the game-deciding home run Oof. It's just gut-wrenching. Really, after that swing, the game was over and everybody knew it. And to fall apart the way Darren O'Day did is just inexcusable. You're playing one of the best teams in baseball. I mean, the best team in the AL. And you had a chance to steal one away. And instead, you gave it away. And you gave it away in a single at bat. Uh, that gets my ugly. So Darren O'Day, you got to own this one. Melting down on Saturday against the Astros. Not a good look. Not a good look whatsoever. Jake, uh, my ugly uh, for the week is going to go to the state of the Orioles. And I'm talking about the address that uh, Dan Duquette decided to give to the season ticket holders. And let me read a little bit about this. Uh, I got a lot of confidence in the guys that we have that we can put it together. This is a tough division. Day in, day out, we have to compete against the toughest teams in the league. This year, we haven't had the starting pitching that we need, but the other elements of our ball club are intact. And if we can get a little bit better pitching or add to the pitching, we can make a run at this. We're about four games out of the wild card, and that second wild card gives you a lot of hope until late in the season. And we are, we're going to see what we can do this week to help our ball club and, and strengthen the club so we can give you a contending team year in and year out. Whatever we do, we are going to try to help the club. I still like a lot of our core players. I don't believe all the stuff that we have half the club on the market because we have a lot of baseball left to be played. No. No, you don't have a lot of baseball left to be played. That's the whole thing. We just went through that thing about the 10-game the uh, homestand. Yeah. That would have been fine yep. going 5-5 five and five if there hadn't been already a half a season of play. Right. You don't have a lot of time left because you're not going to see a drastic turnaround in this club. That's frustrating. It's frustrating because I'd rather Dan Duquette just come out and be bluntly honest. Um, and it's a tactic that has been used by other organizations in the past saying, look, we're making some moves right now and giving some consideration to where we want to be in the future. Um, that may be investing in the team. It also may be a situation where we need to trade away some key players in order to revitalize the farm system. And it's really going to come down to a question of um, how valuable do other teams value our players? Because we have a certain value that we have on our players. And if other teams don't value our players in a similar fashion, we're not going to give up on this year and next year if the value is not there that other teams see. And I'd be perfectly okay with that. I'd be like, yes, absolutely fine. Like, if you do not get, you know, a top 50 prospect for Britain, I completely understand you not wanting to trade him away. Or, or just saying, you know what? We are surprised that we're in this position. Certain players did not play up to the level that we thought they were going to do. And so we're in a tough spot and we're going to do our best to work out of that. Right. I think that's a perfectly good answer. Right. It, it's, it comes back to um, 
at work, a lot of times people are just like, I'm surprised how candid you are and how honest you are. And so it's like, here's the thing. If I BS you, you know instantly that you're being BSed and you're basically being given the business. This doesn't this doesn't tell anybody anything. And it's Dan Duquette either thinking he's really smart or just saying, I just need to get through this whole situation with the season ticket holders where I don't have to have awkward questions asked of me that I'm going to have a difficult answer. If that's the case, then just don't have these given meetings. I mean, if it's just a waste of a time for him and the fans, what's the point of doing this? I, I don't see how it benefits anyone. Um, even the casual fan, even the casual fan listens to it and says, well, that's fluff or that's BS. I'd rather them just be honest and say, here's some things that we think are good. Here are some things that I think we need to work on. And here's what we're going. And I understand you can't tip your entire hand, but just be forthright and say, we may have to give consideration to rebuilding in the next few years. What I'm hearing yeah. is that you want Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter to get behind the mics and tell the fans what they view as the good and the bad and the ugly for the Orioles season. What I'd actually prefer them to do is actually get up and hold up video screens that have GIFs that displayed their emotions at the time. I like it. Yeah. All right. Are you, uh, you ready to go into this blowing the save business? Yeah, let's go ahead and play some music and then you can get started. Scotty, as you alluded, I was out of town this past week, and uh, it was a great time. We took my daughter down to space camp in Huntsville, Alabama, and while she was there, my wife and I did a week away in Nashville. And uh, being outside of the land of pleasant living is not generally what I like to do, but I was, uh, I was delighted at all of the Maryland and Baltimore related uh, interactions I had while I was away. Uh, You know, always wear my Oriole hat while I'm out and about. And everywhere we went, there was a Maryland connection. People would come up and say, oh, you're from Baltimore. I love Baltimore. I live in Ohio, but I have some business there. And, you know, it's just a great town. I was really surprised at how many people came up to me and talked about how much they love the Baltimore area specifically because over the last several years, and certainly since Freddie Gray, the national and international reputation of the city has been crap. Uh, When you're out and about, people say, oh, you must live in like it's the wire. Um, But I was also surprised at how many O's fans there were in in hiding, so to speak, in Nashville. There were a lot of Orioles fans, and at literally every bar we went into, somebody, somebody came up and introduced themselves because they were big O's fans. So... Uh, you know, maybe the state of Birdland not quite as uh, not quite as defeated as we thought. Uh, if it's quiet here in town, it's definitely not quiet outside of the city. So it was a it was a nice refreshing time to be away from home. So when you met these people outside of um, Birdland, the general vicinity of Birdland and the outer limits of Birdland is the best way to put it. Did you mention to them that you run an Orioles podcast? To some, I did. Okay. So to those out there that may have met Jake last week, first of all, I'm sorry. Second of all, um, I'm equally sorry for this show because this was an absolute train wreck. Uh, And third of all, it does get better at episode like 483. But you you stay there for the long term and it'll get better over time. Thanks, Jake Harrietta. Yes. It gets better. It gets better. It gets better. Um, I, I guess that's it for our show. That is. 
our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network, and you can find this show on baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and also on baseballtalkradio.com, the home of great baseball talk. Bird's Eye View is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. We'd appreciate a rating and a review. It helps establish what we call social proof about this show and encourages new listeners to check it out. Hey, engage with us on social media. You can find us at Instagram, Facebook, Google Plus, and Snapchat. But the best way is to get a hold of us on Twitter, where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L, hashtag Fantasy Boss, hashtag Scott is Right. And with that, Baltimore and beyond... Forget everything you just heard about Fantasy Boss. I bid you all a fond. I do, I do. Good night, Baltimore and Nashville. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. My liver may never recover. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.